Unleavened Bread Ministries presents From your hands, your feet, your side Unleavened Bread Bible Studies with David Eels Can quench my thirsting soul Purest water make me whole Let your streams of mercy flow Oh Jesus, I trust in you Greetings, saints. Many blessings to you. Thank you for joining us today for the Unleavened Bread Bible Study. And uh, Lord, thank you so much, Father, for your goodness to us, your grace to us. And um, Lord, everything we need has been provided at the cross, and we just need to have faith. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Okay, I'm going to call this uh, Suffer Not Jezebel. <laughs> Um, we received this verse in our morning meeting on uh, 9.13.22, uh, Revelation 2.18. And I'm going to use the context 18 through 29. Uh, and to the angel of the church of Thyatira write, These things saith the Son of God, who hath his eyes like a flame of fire, and his feet like unto burnished brass. I know thy works, and thy love, and faith, and ministry, and patience, and that thy last works are more than the first. But I have this against thee, that thou sufferest the woman Jezebel, who calleth herself a prophetess, and she teacheth and seduceth my servants to commit fornication, and to eat things sacrificed to idols. There are many churches in these days that allow a spirit of Jezebel to rule in their church, uh, and it is an idol. And verse 21 says, And I gave her time that she should repent, and she willeth not to repent of her fornication. Well, she is a fornicator because she receives the seed of the world and not of her husband. They don't, they don't respect the seed of the husband, which is the word of God. Behold, I cast her into a bed, and them that commit adultery with her into great tribulation, except they repent of her works. That's interesting because look at all the good things that were said about Thyatira. But this one thing angered God. Except they repent of her works, he says. Well, notice that those who support Jezebel must repent or they will die. And I will kill her children, her offspring, meaning the people who submit to that spirit and receive it, right? with death, and all the churches shall know that I am he that searcheth the reins and hearts, and I will give unto each one of you according to your works. But to you I say, to the rest that are in Thyatira, as many as have not this teaching, who know not the deep things of Satan, uh, as they are wont to say, I cast upon you none other burden, the only thing he had against them here. 
And it was very, very important. It would cause death. Nevertheless, that which you have, hold fast till I come, and he that overcometh, and he that keepeth my works unto the end, to him will I give authority over the nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron, and as the vessels of the potter are broken to shivers, as I also have received of my Father, and I will give him the morning star. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith to the churches." Well, I believe it is a sign that the left will come against the apostate church now with uh, death and destruction, and many will lose their spiritual leaders in judgment. Jezebel and her children will be judged according to the word of the Lord. Here's a revelation. I'm going to share a few revelations with you before I get into the scriptures in more density. Um, this We call this Jezebel overcome by Christ's nature in us. And this was given to Claire Pinar, 825-22. And Claire means brilliant, and she represents the bride of Revelation 19, who is dressed in the lampros, or brilliant, garment, which are the righteous acts of the saints. She said, I dreamed Rion and I and our children were traveling through a wilderness in our silver van. Well, the first fruits, man, child, and bride bodies are in a wilderness, and their fruit is with them and maturing as they go through it. Amen. Uh, the silver van, I believe, represents the vessels of the bride and the man, child that are being refined as silver in their wilderness trials. And Malachi 3 and 3 says, And he will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi, and refine them as gold and silver, and they shall offer unto the Lord offerings in righteousness. We'd been traveling for days, and we were in the final hour of reaching our destination. <laughs> we hope so. Uh, the man, child, and bride are in the final stages of their journey to sanctification. And uh, she said, we were very dusty and dirty after this trip. Uh, well, the man, child, and bride have been drugged through the mud by their crucifiers, in Father's process of sanctification and death to self. We approached a hair salon, and uh, Rion said, You can go make yourself ready now. I had some dread, uh, dead ends, excuse me, I wanted to cut off of my hair. I believe the hair salon represents our process of learning submission to the Word. Hair is a sign of submission, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Uh, this is how we make ourselves ready for our heavenly husband, Jesus. You know, the dead ends on the bride's hair represent our old rebellious nature that must be trimmed away so that we are in total submission to Christ. We walked into the hair salon and I prayed from the moment that we stepped into the salon. It was packed to capacity with clients, and all the waiting people were lined up in 
pink chairs. Well, pink is the color of love, and Jesus said to his disciples in John 14 and 15, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. In other words, submit to me. Right? And I thought to myself, this isn't going to happen. I've probably just got to turn around and leave. Uh, well, she said, we know we need to cut off the dead and, or unrighteousness parts of our lives by the Holy Spirit's prompting. And we don't always want to have patience and wait on the Lord. And our flesh hates the pruning. But the Lord can do a quick work of cleaning us up and all of his elect, right? So just then the hairdresser said to me, you can come over here and pointed to a chair in front of a large mirror. So we have to see Christ in the mirror in order to overcome Jezebel and uh, cut off all that non-submissive part of Jezebel, right? And suddenly, uh, an old lady got up and started fighting with me for taking her spot. <laughs> she was very angry, but proper and learned. She was being so ugly to me. This old lady represents the following spirits and fleshly behaviors of self-willed, domineering, and prideful. Mm-hmm. I explained that I am doing as the stylist said. And then I started defending myself, and I said things like, We've traveled so far, and my kids are with me, so I don't want them in here for any longer than they need to be. And this old lady was spitting with anger now. Then she said uh, something really derogatory about where we came from and about my children. At that point, I pushed her. I told her to stop. And then I walked out of the salon. Well, you know, we have to resist the Jezebel nature. Uh, I believe that this is talking about um, her enemy, um, the Jezebel nature coming against her. And uh, as we got into the van, I was overcome with guilt and condemnation. And I confessed to Rion that I thought I was wrong and I needed to go back to the old lady and repent for losing my temper with her. Well, uh, we do get in trouble if we pity the old man. The old man can't be reformed. He's got to die. And we must resist him to the uttermost with all of our armor on, right? We drove to the old lady's home and waited for her to return from the salon. I think the fact that I knew where the old lady lived... <laughs> is a sign that we all know the root causes of our sin. Uh, it's generational, passed down from Adam. When she came, I immediately ran up to her and apologized, and I noticed that she was now milking the push that I had given her for all it was worth. She'd made her face up with some acting uh, makeup to enhance the scrape, to look like she had been banged up. Well, the old man and Jezebel love to manipulate us into letting them live, you know. All kinds of excuses why 
she's right and you're wrong, right? I listened to her wild accusations about me, and she accused me. More and more people appeared and watched us from a small amphitheater. <laughs> well, we're always being watched to see how we are going to handle our trials, right? And since Jezebel is a worldly spirit, she will have plenty of support from worldly people. So we should not let her live, right? Uh, then I started praying in the Spirit, and from that point on, I was completely amazed. The old lady started groveling to me, but uh, could not get the words, I am sorry, out of her mouth. Well, that's, that's the pride and uh, domineering spirit in them won't let them do such a thing. They're narcissists by nature. It was hard to watch because even though her tone was one of being sorry, she couldn't even mouth the words. Well, Jezebel cannot be reformed. She has to die. Then she went over to a side table and pulled out her judge's robe and a yellow sash and dressed up in it. She told me all of her accomplishments and her lineage and her status. Well, Jezebel is proud and judgmental and cannot repent, right? As she spoke, I continued praying, and she became smaller and smaller, and her voice was quieter and quieter. Yeah, the old man is passing away. Amen. We must intercede to do spiritual warfare in order to defeat the Jezebel spirit. She also became more fumbling and bumbling, and right at the end, she looked like she was overcome with memory loss or dementia, as she didn't know where she was or who she was. She walked out of the filled amphitheater, started emptying, and with the people who had congregated to hear her. They were downcast and embarrassed by her defeat, and then I woke up. Yeah, there's a lot of people root with Jezebel. It's a worldly spirit, and the world agrees with Jezebel. I listened to a teaching from David Eels, she said, uh, calling called Enduring in Your Faith, Part 1, on YouTube. And I believe the teaching is exactly what this dream is about. Yep, probably so. Uh, okay, here's a... The Bondage of Jezebel, Tiana M. 8-9-22 In my dream, I had been traveling around to all different places in this modern time, talking about Jesus, speaking from my heart how I know Him, and speaking the Word to Christians and unbelievers through the power of Christ's Spirit. And I remember the Spirit saying to someone, the gospel of how Jesus bore all sin, curse, sickness, and death, so we wouldn't have to, and that we are 100% dead, and all that is left is Jesus in us, and nothing can hold Jesus, nothing can hold us, not even death, because Jesus lives in us. That's the gospel. I had been moving in a medium-sized town, and all of a sudden I appeared as if translated in front of an old-fashioned train 
that was the size of a bus. It seemed as if it as if I had gone back in time, and I walked inside, and there were all these people seated, and a woman leading or conducting the train. I believe this represents Jezebel, which I thought was weird because the period of time I was in, men were leaders and women were in their proper place as helpers. Hmm. More so than in this modern world, she says. And I was wondering why I was here and what was going on. All of a sudden, a man in chains... I believe representing the spiritual man being in bondage to Jezebel, like an Ahab, right, was brought in. He only had a loincloth on, and he didn't say anything. Someone said his name was Enoch. But I felt that he was a strong follower of God, and I felt God used him for prophecy and speaking the true word of God. And yes, of course, he did, you know. The lady in charge had uh, the man chained to a pole with his hands tied in front and his feet tied to another pole. That kind of makes a cross, right? The cross was made of two poles, right? He was tied horizontally, and he never said anything. I felt that he was chained up for following Jesus. And, of course, Jesus didn't say anything either, right? I heard that uh, if I or anyone desired to be like Jesus and preach the real Jesus, then this will happen to them. I didn't want to be a part of this, and I was still unsure what was going on. But I moved around on the train to a different seat so I wouldn't be noticed. I was worried that this same thing was going to happen to me because I followed Jesus and I had been praying to be used in all the giftings of the Spirit in full. Well, we uh, shouldn't try to hide our lamp light of Christ in us. We're set apart. Persecution will come. Uh, for following Christ. The train started driving, and the lady in charge announced that this man was being sold off to slavery and then death to a rich family. Well, some men willingly obey Jezebel for the sake of advantage. The rich family, right? I was worried and and uh, was wondering if this is going to happen to me too. I knew that everyone there knew that I followed Jesus and loved Father God. The train arrived at a small country town, and the man was taken off the train still in chains. And I heard that the man who uh, bought the uh, the follower of Jesus was wanted to buy another woman on the train. Okay. Uh, I was worried that the slave owner would try to buy me too because he valued white, blue-eyed, blonde-haired women. Everyone else had tan skin, brown eyes, and dark brown hair. I was really noticeable 
so I went to the back row seats to try to hide. <laughs> well, we, you can't hide from these spirits. Uh, we must fight them with the word or they will put us in bondage. Amen. Then the lady came back and with some other people tried to grab me to chain me. I instantly thought that it's not I that lives, but Christ living in me, and I am dead to sin and alive unto God in Christ Jesus. Well, there you go. Uh, that's a good resistance against the spirit of Jezebel. So she stood on her faith in the power of the word and, and could not be bound. If you hold to the word, Jezebel has no power. Although I was there in the physical, none of the people could touch me or grab me, let alone chain me. They literally could not do anything. I was really amazing. It was really amazing. So we're guilty if we let Jezebel rule us. We know what the Word says. We can use the Word against that spirit. And we can uh, resist coming under its authority in anyone else, too. So I thought, well, I don't need to stay on this train and felt that God wanted me to get off at this small country town. So I got off the train and thought, I wonder what the food is like in this past era of time. Uh, in other words, I believe it's talking about the bread of life, right? I was expecting it to be better than modern food because obviously it's been polluted in these days. I also thought that because I was back in time that more people would love Jesus and talk about Jesus. I walked over to the small country shop and spoke to a man and woman that was at the counter. And I spoke about our Lord. And to my shock, they weren't followers of Jesus. I went into the shop to check out all the different foods with high expectations of it being better than the modern world. But to my surprise, they had similar foods available. A wide variety of fried foods, expensive sandwiches. I couldn't understand and was disappointed that the food was overpriced, bad quality, and unhealthy like it is in the modern world. Well, the apostate church has been serving up spiritual junk food for centuries, and Jezebel is no exception. So they don't know what is right from what is wrong, right? She said, then I woke up. Well, that gives us a, a chance to go on to the next revelation here. Don't let Jezebel drive. Claire Pinar, 9-4-22. I dreamed we were showing my parents where and how we lived. The parents represent the apostate church and its leadership that we are born out of. Things were going so well, even though we lived in a large city. It was nighttime, and we wanted to take them out for a nice meal. We had a really nice luxury white vehicle that Rion drove everywhere. Our, our vehicle is, of course, our life, you know. We're just vessels alongside, right? 
When we told them uh, we were going out, Rian kindly let my mom drive when she requested it. And Rian and I sat in the back of the car. My mom drove, and my dad sat next to her. Okay, well, that's um, Jezebel and Ahab, right? Within seconds, we knew that this was a bad idea. She drove like a speed demon. She nearly killed us multiple times, and my dad never flinched. No, he wouldn't dare say a word. Uh, Rion kept on shaking his head, and at one point I started crying. She took us on the strangest roads, jumped on and off highways and overways, and even drove on tram line tracks with teams coming in the opposite direction. <laughs> um, and Rion said here, he said, Geraldine means spear ruler and represents a Jezebel spirit. It was a mistake by Rion and probably due to an Ahab spirit to give her any control. <clears throat> Jezebel is beguiling and can seem harmless. But she seems, but she seeks control and will seek to destroy families and couples, and especially uh, true leadership of the church. They consider that a target. Rion told her nicely and firmly to stop, and I did too. She just ignored us, yes, because there's self-will there, pride there, right? Then when she made the same mistake twice, I said, pull over right now. You're done. Stop right this second. She slowed down and said, but there is nowhere to stop. I replied, I don't care if you stop in the middle of the highway. You are done. And she got out. And she said things like, you're being silly. I've been driving like this my whole life. <laughs> yeah. I replied, in this country, for driving like that, you'll get locked up. The president will have to get involved, and you you uh, want to go back home. Never again, never again. I went on. This is worth more than a fine. This is more than $500 worth. <laughs> and Rian uh said Jezebel needs to be forcefully and with authority in the spirit dealt with, especially if that spirit has been in the family for a very long time. Yes, since Eve. Mm-hmm. So then she woke up. So, another revelation here, prophecy of what will happen to Jezebel. Uh, Claire got this on 8.30.22. I dreamed I was on a big ship at night, and my mom was standing at the helm. She was completely taken over by demons who were screeching all around her. They lifted her up her hands and put big black hooks through them, and they wanted to hang her on a cross. I said, you can't be your own savior. 
but it did not seem as though she heard me or understood me. The ship was rolling with heavy waves. I was so sad for her. So many tried to choose their own cross, but our cross is already designed by God, and it is obedience to His Word. Spirits like this have no authority if you obey the Word. They have no authority to take you. But that's what they do. They seduce people, right? So, she said, this is what will happen to Jezebel if she tries to come into the ark of rest with the elect of God. And Rion said, all of this is currently happening we are literally on a ship with big waves when Claire had this dream. That's interesting. Uh, Claire's parents are spiritually in this boat or ark with us now, referring to uh, household salvation. And there are big spiritual waves or attacks. Claire's mom literally struggled with her hands and even mentioned something about the nails of Jesus the other day, but she is also struggling with self-works and Jezebel spiritually. And we know about many other demons. I received Romans 14 and 8 as a verse by faith at random for this dream. For whether we live, we live unto the Lord, or whether we die, we die unto the Lord. And whether we live therefore or die, we are the Lord's. Well, okay, this is so true. I mean, uh, if you are the Lord's and you follow the Lord, you will have nothing to fear. Okay, it's, uh, it's the parts of us that are uh, tempted and drawn away that open the door for Things like Jezebel. Okay. So I'm just going to share a few testimonies with you about overcoming Jezebel. Um, this was Lana Galchenko, 9122. And we called it The Discernment to Recognize Jezebel and Overcome. When I received the email last week regarding tonight's study on Jezebel, I started reading the material right away. Not too long after I started reading, my husband, Theo, arrived home and told me that he had gone ahead and not only canceled his hair appointment, but he's canceled all future hair appointments for myself and our family at the local salon where we went. He said this because he has been laid off, and I think it was uh, that same day, and because of the angel's commands regarding our finances and excess goods in combination with other things going on in our household, it's a luxury we can do without. Immediately, anger took over, and I started to attack him. Over the next few days, this continued to happen over various things, and with each reoccurrence, the Lord gave me the grace to recognize that this was Jezebel, and that I needed to squash her out of my life. 
I needed to recognize what was going on and call her out. It didn't take more than about three of these episodes for me to start calling her out. Out loud, before my husband, I confessed what was going through my mind. I repented on the spot for what was going on and realized how absolutely empty my arguments were and that I was seeking things such as self-pity to lower my husband by making him apologize, to control him because he had done something without discussing it with me, and other such petty little things, trying to get me to latch on to in order to destroy my relationship with him in that moment. She said, somewhere in this process, I also realized that all of these things were tactics to try and bring my husband down a notch before me so that Jezebel could get a foothold and continue to repeat this in me until she could bring him to nothing. The Lord has been so graceful in taking me through this because I have asked for deliverance of this spirit when I first joined the UBM outreach, and I know and see that the Lord has been slowly manifesting this deliverance over the years. So this last week, he had been giving me deeper and deeper understanding just how subtle she is and how deeply she knows our weaknesses in order to get us to do what she wants all the while using our logic, our nature, our will, our heart's desires, our lusts of the flesh, and so on. What I've also come to understand is that being submissive to our husbands is not only a command of the Lord, but it's the way He also created women to be women and men to be men. David's book, uh, The Tongue Conquers the Curse, was very helpful here. I understood that the way men's characters are built, it's very easy to break them, to destroy them, as their help meets by criticizing them and by not being on their side and by taking somebody else's side because we logically think our husband is wrong. We don't have to be blind in our submission. We want to be in submission with our eyes wide open because we love them and we don't want to criticize them. We don't want to bring them down. We don't want to manipulate them. Instead, we want to lift them up. We want to be a blessing to them. We want to do our part in their lives. Well, amen. A wise woman. I've also found that sometimes I attack him and I can't understand why. I started to realize it's because the enemy uses my weaknesses to come against my husband in order to try him in fiery trials, trials that in reality I would never wish on him. And by the grace of God, he has passed the test every time. My beloved husband, Theo, I can brag on him all day. <laughs> yeah, amen. Uh, he has been immensely blessed by the Lord with great wisdom, 
patience and dedication to loving me as his wife, even though he saw in me the Jezebel that I was, the Jezebel household that I was raised in in the night he first met me. He instantly discerned this, and yet the Lord gave him a great love and a great desire and faith in me to take me on as his helpmeet, knowing what he would face. <laughs> in our six years of marriage, the Lord has used him to do a great work in me. All this has been an amazing testimony to me as his spouse and such an encouragement to be an overcomer, to get rid of every last trace of that Jezebel spirit, her influence and any traces of her in my life and my household, with whatever it takes by the grace of God. Well, amen. I hope this encourages and builds up somebody's courage to take a deep look inside to ask themselves, why am I arguing? Why am I coming against my head, my beloved? Why do I need to correct him? Should I be correcting? You would never correct your boss. We're not supposed to. And when you start digging one step at a time and being honest with yourself, you find it's because you want to control in this particular situation. It's because I was afraid he wouldn't do what I wanted. It's because I feel bad pitying myself, and I want him to pity me too. All these little fleshly desires, and uh, we're destroying the man we are supposed to respect and submit to, and in turn are crucifying Christ. So, God help us all. His grace is unlimited in these trials, and He is willing to reach out a hand to deliver every one of us and give us the strength to pass the test every time because He's done it for me. All glory to God. There were times when I wondered why it is that I was so hard on my husband as my other half, as somebody whom I should love with all my heart, as I love the Lord, and yet I could show more respect to other men. The thought that came to me in response as to why we women feel that we have the right to criticize and bring down, belittle, or disrespect our very own husbands, the ones we consider as our own flesh, because Jezebel wants us to attack our own body in order that in the end we not only destroy our husband, but destroy ourselves in the process. Mm -hmm. In that way, she has the victory over the entire family. She will bring death to the entire body, since we and our husbands are one flesh, and will have accomplished her goal, which is death to the family, death to the unity with God, Christ in us, I have no doubt this understanding is a revelation from God. I don't doubt it at all either, Lana. And this is Deliverance from Jezebel, Part 2. 
9422. This is Lana Galchenko. Hello again. Praise the Lord. We have a part two to the great deliverance story. Her testimony of her deliverance from Jezebel is a great one, too. After Fio's trip to visit the brethren at UBM in Tennessee, he came home full of joy and a rekindled first love for me. That day I noticed that the, the Lord had softened my heart and I was no longer shying away from his physical touch throughout the day, unlike in the past where this would annoy me because I was too busy. That night after the outreach, we had a chance to talk about these changes and were reminiscing about the night Theo proposed to me almost seven years ago. One topic led to another, and I started to remember out loud our time of being an engaged couple and how those memories were still unpleasant, plagued with condemnation, guilt, rejection, and fear. During that time, my family had come against me and my passionate love and devotion to Theo. They disapproved of everything we did together, and persecuted us for being too much in love. <laughs> it then hit me that shortly after our wedding, my sisters shared with me how the whole family found our display of affection for one another to be an embarrassment. Yep, that's the Jezebel spirit. They want to drive the wedge. I had received this curse and had been embarrassed to display or receive affection for my husband, even in private, all these years. We immediately rebuked this curse, and I repented of having received it. I felt a need to take a deep breath and exhale, and in that moment I knew that I had been delivered. All of a sudden, I became overcome with a great feeling of love towards my husband and felt very free to express it to him. We were so excited at this revelation and deliverance that we continued to talk. I then remembered that a few years back, two of my sisters and I had sat down for a heart-to-heart -heart where they just laid it all out on me. My, my shortcomings uh, while growing up, corrections, and advice. I had received everything they had told me and had asked for their forgiveness at the time in an attempt to help bring us sisters into unity again. I remember that I had reflected on the conversation later and found that I didn't agree with them at all but figured no harm done. This night, I realized that Jezebel had effectively given herself access to me through these, and possibly other, sisterly corrections, and thus had continued to rule through me even though I had thought all along that I've done everything I could to repent and get rid of her. <laughs> 
how many women realize that when we come into agreement with those of a Jezebel spirit, we're allowing her to have a foothold in our lives and thus become ruled by her. I thank you, Father God, for revealing this to me and setting me free of Jezebel for good. She is cast off of her throne, no longer resides over our household. She is not coming with us to Tennessee, just as the Lord had commanded. I praise our Heavenly Father for the warning and the grace to complete this deliverance. All glory to God. Well, amen, and I agree, 100%. (laughs) Uh, Okay, here's one from from Claire Pinar again, 826.22, The Crown of Submission. Rion and I were driving in the car on a windy, rainy day last week with my folks, and he made some decisions I was not immediately in agreement with that concerned small things like uh, where to have lunch or where to take my folks sightseeing. I took to praying in the Spirit, and I did not want any flesh to come between us. I had slipped up the day before with a similar situation and had repented. As I prayed in the Spirit, I closed my eyes and I received this vision from the Lord. I was kneeling down in front of Jesus, and He placed a crown on my head. He said, This is the crown of submission. I was in awe. Then the vision ended. I pray it encourages everyone to put away the tendency to become disagreeable or to voice it out loud, but rather cast it down and come in agreement with their head, whether it be a husband or Christ. I am thankful for the opportunities I have to grow in Christ and learn how to cast down my flesh or sin nature. Well, amen. Okay, I'll just tell you all a good book to read. Word, Women, and Authority. We recommend this book for both men and women. Amen. So, uh, I want to say that the Word is final authority for women. Uh, We can't live outside the Word. The Word is Christ. As we put the Word in us and submit to it, We're submitting to Christ. And this is how we grow. This is how we mature and bear the fruit, 30, 60, and 100, that we need to bear. The devil hates marriage. He hates God's ordinance of marriage. So much that it was the first thing he attacked in Genesis 3 and 1. Because he knows that if he comes between a husband and wife or perverts their roles as man and woman, he has come between their relationship with God. Psalm 11 and 3 says, If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? It's heartbreaking to look at how successful the devil has been in corrupting society from the inside out. Hosea 4, 6 says, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. 
Because thou hast rejected knowledge, I will also reject thee. In order to accept Jezebel, you must reject knowledge. It's clear all through the word, uh, the teaching that we're giving. Because thou hast rejected knowledge, I also will reject thee, that thou shalt no, be no priest to me. Well, you can't be a priest because you can't offer flesh on the fiery trial, right? Seeing that thou hast forgotten the law of thy God, I also will forget thy children. Oh, what a terrible thing. Uh, how Jezebel can lead to the destruction of your own children, what the devil wants for sure. It did not take generations to do this. Eve was led astray in the garden. Second Corinthians 11 and 3 says, But I fear, lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve in his craftiness, your mind should be corrupted by the simplicity, from the simplicity and the purity that is towards Christ. Amen. So, what's the answer? 1 John 2 and 24 says, As for you, let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. If that which you heard from the beginning abide in you, you also shall abide in the Son and in the Father. And, of course, we know Jesus said that if you don't abide in the Son and in the Father, you will not bear fruit and you will be cast forth and thrown into the fire. The answer is to humble ourselves to the Word as it was originally given. Notice, if that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. Some people say they, they like their modern-day doctrines. You know, well, sure, but you're submitting to somebody other than Christ. Because the Lord wrote the book. You know, he's, he, uh, he wants us to follow it flawlessly. Only that word is our protection from all the lies and tricks the devil has been using against us. Yes. I want to examine a very touchy subject for a lot of people, mostly because of tradition but also because of the society that we are in right now, which has become very different from the Bible. And I want to examine the position of the Word on women and authority. Too many of God's people have the idea that God changes with society, but He doesn't. The Bible says in Psalm 119 and 89, Forever, O Lord, Thy word is settled in heaven. So you have to abide in heavenly places, of course, to make up your mind the same way. Thy word is forever settled in heaven. And in Numbers 23 and 19, God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Hath he said, and will he not do it? Or hath he spoken, and will he not make it good? So why would God 
being the head of all, have to change with society. Especially when society continues to get more and more corrupt, do you really think God would do that? Or would he try to hold them to the word that was once delivered unto the saints? Quote, unquote. So God doesn't change his mind. Even when men do, he's the, the rock that we all stand on. And his word is never changing. And he wants to bring Christians back into submission to his word. And it's sad that we've fallen a long ways from God's will. And we have to repent and change our mind. Because unless we submit to the word, we can't get back to God. It's quite natural for us to follow in our parents' footsteps. Uh, the curse is passed on from generation to generation. For that reason, we need to look at the owner's manual and see exactly where we are and where we need to go. You can't go by your carnal nature. It's been passed down. It's, uh, it's the Adamic nature, the fallen Adamic nature, and we have to go back to the book. We need to diligently read the Word to find out what is our particular job in our covenant. We have to make sure that we're someone that would be a blessing to a family, to a husband, to a wife, and not a curse. And with that in mind, we'd like to look at what the Bible actually says about the role of women. For instance, Genesis 2 and 18 says, And the Lord God said, It's not good that the man should be alone. Why wasn't it good for Adam to be alone? Uh, it's because alone he couldn't fulfill the command of Genesis 1 and 28 to be fruitful and multiply. So uh, God went on to say, I will make him a help meet for him. And the word translated as help meet is the Hebrew ezer, and it means just what it says, a help, a helper. It comes from azar, meaning help, succor. Uh, Easton's Bible Dictionary states the Hebrew is Ezer Kenedro. In other words, a, a help as his counterpart, a help suitable to him, a wife. You may say uh, that makes it sound like a wife is only a servant. Well, then we, are, we should look at what the Bible says about servants, right? Moses um, uh, a great prophet of the Old Testament was referred to as, in Deuteronomy 34 and 5, Moses, the servant of God. Everybody serves somebody. And, uh, and it, some people consider it wrong to serve a man, serve a husband, um, serve uh, the kingdom. Uh, they have their own will, their own ambitions. We call that idols. Uh, at least 15 times in the Bible, um, he's called that, servant of God. 
And Paul, arguably the greatest of the apostles, referred to himself as, Romans 1 and 1, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ. Therefore, being a servant does not make someone less valuable or important to God. Remember that Jesus himself said, Matthew 23 and 10, Neither be ye called masters, for one is your master, even the Christ. But he that is the greatest among you shall be your servant. See, you've got to think kingdom thoughts here, not worldly thoughts. The greatest among you shall be your servant. And whosoever shall exalt himself shall be humbled. In other words, beyond his servanthood, right? And whosoever shall humble himself shall be exalted. So it doesn't matter what servant you are, where you are on the totem pole. It makes no difference. You're only running a race against what you're supposed to be serving here, you see. And uh, we've all got to be a servant. All. Of course, God could have divided Adam right down the middle if he wanted to show total physical equality between men and women, but he chose not to do that, right? Genesis 2 and 21 says, And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept, and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the the rib which the Lord God had taken from the man, made he a woman and brought her unto the man. So why a rib? Hmm? It's uh, the location that makes a rib so special. The ribs surround the chest and protect the heart. Uh, So to be carried in the bosom, quote-unquote, as used many places in the Scripture, indicates being protected and cherished and to be hidden in the heart. In Ruth 4 and 16, it says, And Naomi took the child and laid it in her bosom. The Hebrew word check is translated as both bosom and cherish and became and became nurse unto it. Amen. In First uh, Peter 3 and 1, we are told, In like manner, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that even if any obey not the word, they may without the word be gained by the behavior of their wives, beholding your chaste behavior coupled with fear, whose adorning Let it not be the outward adorning of braiding the hair and of wearing jewels of gold or of putting on apparel, but let it be the hidden man of the heart in the incorruptible apparel of a meek and a quiet spirit. Uh, Not possible for Jezebel, I can tell you that. A woman who desires to be valuable according to this, and beautiful in the sight of God cannot be overbearing and domineering as the spirit of this perverse age is. 
And he goes on to say, which is in the sight of God of great price. Yes, he considers it very valuable in a woman. And, of course, a man does, too. Well, that meek and quiet spirit was also spoken of Moses, the servant of God. Numbers 12 and 3. Now, the man Moses was very meek above all the men that were upon the face of the earth. And that meek and quiet spirit is of such great value that Jesus said of himself in Matthew 11 and 29, Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls. Yep, it's quite the opposite of the competitive spirit, the selfish spirit of Jezebel. And this, that means that the man carries the woman, and the woman never carries the man. First Peter 3 and 5 on down. For after this manner, aforetime, the holy women also who hoped in God adorned themselves being in subjection to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord whose children you now are, if you do well and are not put in fear by any terror. And ye husbands, in like manner, dwell with your wives according to knowledge, giving honor unto the woman as unto the weaker vessel, as being also joint heirs of the grace of life, to the end that your prayers be not hindered. In Genesis 2 and 23, the man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. So Adam named Eve, but God called the both of them Adam because they were one flesh. Genesis 5 and 1, this is the book of the generations of Adam. In the day that God created man, in the likeness of God, made he him. Male and female created he them, and blessed them, and called their name Adam. So notice that this is in the plural, their name Adam in the day when they were created. And, of course, that is why the woman takes on the man's name when they're married. It goes all the way back to this, right? They are one. And uh, they can't be schizophrenic, like in a lot of marriages, where they're competitive with one another or equal one to another. That's ridiculous, too, because we weren't made that way. Uh, you've probably noticed that very few women are named in Scripture, and it seems to imply that women are a subordinate class or even just property. However, that's not the case. When the woman is not specifically named in the Bible, it's because she is hid, carried in the bosom, protected and cherished in her husband 
as a type of the church being hid in Christ. Colossians 3 and 3, For you died and your life is hid with Christ in God. And that means when you name the husband, then you've also named the wife because they are one. And notice also that this creates a set chain of authority. 1 Corinthians 11 and 8 says, For the man is not of the woman, but the woman of the man. For neither was the man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. And for this cause ought the woman to have a sign of authority on her head. This is God's opinion, and it's the only one that counts. And uh, any other direction, of course, ends up under a curse. So the Word is saying a woman has delegated authority, and that authority comes through the man. If she is married, her authority comes through her husband. If she's unmarried, her authority comes through her father. That's biblical. Numbers chapter 30. Read it. And in the book of Esther, since uh, Mordecai uh, raised Hadassah, his niece, after she was orphaned, her authority came through him. And you can find that in Esther 2 and 7 and 20 through 22. So what happens when the husband is not giving honor to the woman? Well, as we just read, it says that his prayers will be hindered uh, in First Peter 3 and 7. Well, how does that happen? Well, it happens because the husband is supposed to be the priest of his house. But a husband and wife are supposed to be one body. If the husband has in some way cut off or mistreated his wife, if he has not honored his wife, then he has uh, mutilated his body. Amen? The Hebrew word charim, translated as blemish in the, the following passage, is also translated to mutilate, especially the face, to slit the partition between the nostrils or the lip or the lobe of the ear. Prayers come forth from our lips. Leviticus 21 and 18 says, For whatsoever man he be that hath a blemish, he shall not approach. So no man of the seed of Aaron the priest that hath a blemish shall come nigh to offer the offerings of the Lord made by fire. So if his body is mutilated, then his prayers are going to be hindered because it says he can't come near to present the offerings of the Lord made by fire, one type uh, of which is prayer. Now, you know, unless the commandments of God are ruling in us and we are not really abiding in Christ because as the Bible says in 1 John 2:24, As for you, let that abide in you, which you heard from the beginning. If that which you heard from the beginning abide in you, you also shall abide in the Son and in the Father. 
And this is the promise which he promised us, even the life eternal. These things have I written unto you concerning them that would lead you astray. Many are obviously led astray. Uh, We have to abide in that which we heard from the beginning. Let me say, this doctrine is all the way through the Scripture from the time of the garden. It's all the way through the Scriptures. It's from the beginning. Why would God tell us this? He tells us that for our own protection, we need to understand that what we in our self-will consider to be limitations are there because He loves us and He wants to protect us. God has standards that don't change with society because, as you can see, when society changes, it just goes down the tubes. It becomes totally corrupt and swallowed up by the curse. What was fitting and proper uh, 2,000 years ago is still right. Moral is moral. Colossians 3 and 18, Wives, be in subjection to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Is it still fitting in the Lord? Of course. God hasn't changed. Who moved? (laughs) Yes. Uh, This is not a question of interpretation. This is in black and white and a question of our obedience and respect for God and His Word. If, if we look at the Greek word translated there as fitting, according to Strong's, this is aneko, which means to come up to a particular standard hmm, or expectation. So, This is what we're to do. We're to come to God's standard. He is not to come to ours. In other words, what is proper, fitting, becoming, to give uh, what is due or suitable. Suter wrote that. Uh, Doing what is appropriately acceptable. Okay. So, wives, be in subjection to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Isn't this what Jesus did? You know, Philippians 2 and 5, where he says, Have this mind in you which was also in Christ Jesus. Not the modern day mind, but exactly the mind of Christ. We have the mind of Christ. It is written in the scriptures. Okay who existing in the form of God, counted not the being on an equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant. So we are a servant. We're all servants of him. And we can't obey him unless we obey his word. Being made in the likeness of men and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, becoming obedient even unto death, yea, the death of the cross. And isn't this what Jesus said to us, right? Matthew twenty three eleven. But he that is greatest among you shall be your servant. 
So Jesus is our example. Uh, Jesus should be our goal. Amen. And if everyone wants to be servants uh, and not domineering or overlording uh, over other people, especially someone who is called to be our head, a boss, a husband, a pastor, whatever, you know, then uh, we will we will have peace. Uh, now, I understand that there are situations where the husband just will not take the lead. And so the wife feels that she has to. But two wrongs do not make a right. We have a clear command from the Lord. If the wife will pray and believe for her husband to fill that position or authority and then back off so that he has to make the decisions, he will learn to take the lead. I've been asked, so what about husbands? Who do take their position, but use it very legalistically? Well, that's no excuse before the Lord for a wife to disobey her husband. Once again, if the wife will pray and believe for her husband to have a greater understanding of scriptures, the Lord will give him the wisdom he needs. All things whatsoever you pray and ask for, believe you received them and you shall have them. And by the way, while you believe you receive, you, uh, you're exercising that faith to bring it to pass. If you're full of suspicion and uh, self-seeking, um, it won't come to pass. So we can trust God. He will honor our prayers for our spouse. It's a sore state that things are reversed in our society. Uh, we're in great corruption right now because if the husband and wife are not one, if they are not fulfilling their God-ordained roles, then they are a house divided. And when a society comes out of God's ordained order, that society is a house divided, and it will not stand, according to Jesus. Matthew 12 and 25, And knowing their thoughts, he, this is Jesus speaking, said unto them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation. That's what Jezebel does. That's what she specializes in. Not only destroying families, but destroying churches, etc., etc. Destroying the lives of men in authority. They love to do that. So every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation. And every city or house divided against itself shall not stand. It will not. You want to know why so many marriages end in divorce? That's it. So America is falling apart because of this. Ephesians 5 and 22. Wives be in subjection unto your own husbands. Notice that this doesn't say unto some women's ministry or unto the preacher. This has broken up a lot of families because preachers thought that they had a right to exercise authority over somebody else's wife. It's not permitted. There's nobody 
more important to the wife than her husband because the Lord is going to deal with the wife through the husband. She's going to find her direction through him. Ephesians 5 and 22 says, Wives, be in subjection unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. In other words, just as you know you should be obeying the Lord, do so with your husband. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church. The same parallel, okay? Being himself the Savior of the body, okay? But as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives also be to their husbands in everything, in everything, in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for it. Well, it's a whole lot easier for a wife to obey her husband when he loves her, because what you sow, you reap, right? And even so ought husbands also to love their own wives as their own bodies, he that loveth his own wife loveth himself. For no man ever hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as Christ also the church, because we are members of his body. And for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I speak in regard of Christ and of the church. Nevertheless, do you also severally love one his own wife, even as himself, and let the wife see that she fear her husband, because she is to submit to him as the Lord. If you have to fear the Lord, you should fear your husband. So there it is again. That's um, the chain of command, the relationship of obedience and love that the church should have to Christ is the same relationship of obedience and love that a woman should have to her husband. And when the church takes the lead, as she has in this day, judgment always comes. This is also true when the wife takes the lead. She is not abiding in the safety and the blessing of Christ because she is not abiding in that which she heard from the beginning. Right? So many wives uh, disobey their husbands with the excuse that he is unspiritual or does not obey the word in some way. Well, the Scriptures cover that situation too as we just read in First Peter 3 and 1. In like manner, you wives be in subjection to your own husbands, that even if any obey not the word, they may without the word be gained by the behavior of their wives. This clearly makes the wife disobedient to the Lord if she is disobedient to her husband. And many, many times, ends in a divorce rather than in winning the husband. 
it's terrible that uh, married couples are being advised by apostate leaders to divorce for reasons such as incompatibility or mental cruelty or weight gain or substance abuse, etc. Other than fornication, there is a one that's fornication. Even pastors are getting divorced for reasons other than fornication. But the whole point is that if we will obey the Lord, God will bless us. And in many cases, neither the husband nor the wife are obeying the Lord. And so there's no no blessing, no favor, no grace from God in the family. We uh, Every trial that we're in, whether it's with the husband or with the wife, you know, every trial that we're in is an opportunity to exercise our faith and see God do the miracle, as he said he will do, faithfully. So people find it easier just to part and go the other way because they don't want to go through trials of tribulations. Also, being married to an unbeliever is not grounds enough to leave them. Only if they leave are you free. If they leave. 1 Corinthians 7 and 12. But to the rest say I, not the Lord, if any brother hath an unbelieving wife, and she is content to dwell with him, let him not leave her. And the woman that hath an unbelieving husband, and he is content to dwell with her, let her not leave her husband. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified in the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified in the brother. Else were your children unclean, but now are they holy. So if you go another way, your children are unclean, but now are they holy. Yet if the unbelieving departeth, let him depart. The brother or sister is not under bondage in such cases, but God hath called us in peace. Yep. If the unbelieving departs, um, you are you don't have any more responsibility there. If they leave you, you're not responsible and you're not bound in such a case. So there are a lot of unscriptural marriages out there, and many of them have been caused because both people are rebellious. They came together and couldn't make it work. But they wouldn't repent and submit to the Lord. They wouldn't confess their sin. They wouldn't give up their bitterness and unforgiveness. And therefore, they were turned over to the tormentors. Matthew eighteen thirty four and 35. And his Lord was wroth and delivered him to the tormentors until he should pay all that was due. So shall also my heavenly Father do unto you if you forgive not everyone his brother from your hearts. And when the marriage became nothing but a torment, they just split up. They don't do what they need to do, which is forgive, to get out from under the tormentors, right? See, the Scripture has a solution for every problem. And people don't want to obey the Scripture, so they don't even want to seek it out because they have their own self-will. So they don't want to seek out the solution that is written in the Word. There is a cause for every effect. You may be concerned 
thinking, what can I do if I got married before I came to the Lord? Well, don't worry about that, because everything we did before we came to the Lord was sin. <laughs> and we can't go back and do anything about it. But the Lord did, right? 1 Corinthians 7 and 12 says, But to the rest say I, not the Lord, if any brother hath an unbelieving wife, and she is content to dwell with him, let him not leave her. And the woman that hath an unbelieving husband, and he is content to dwell with her, let her not leave her husband. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified in the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified in the brother. Else were your children unclean, but now are they holy. What does it mean they're sanctified? They're sanctified by your chaste behavior, as the Scripture says. Uh, you can lead them to Christ. And um, this is a, a challenge to your faith and your ability to be humble and submissive and um, show a good uh, witness to them. It goes on to say, Yet if the unbelieving departeth, let him depart, the brother or sister is not in, under bondage in such cases, but God hath called us in peace. Amen. So, whether a husband is believing or unbelieving, he, he can still be very obnoxious, very overbearing, very sinful, and that's very crucifying to the wife, but that's not an excuse to leave. In most cases, unless he is asking the wife to willfully sin, there can be submission on her part. However, no one should stay in a situation where their life or the lives of their children are in physical danger. We have permission in such a case to flee. Matthew twenty four sixteen, Luke two twenty one twenty one, 21, etc. Genesis nineteen seventeen, And it came to pass, when they had brought them forth abroad, that he said, Escape for thy life. Look not behind thee, Neither stay thou in all the plain. Escape to the mountain, lest thou be consumed. Mm -hmm. And remember that we read in First uh, Peter 3 and 1, In like manner, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that even if any obey not the word, they may without the word be gained by the behavior of their wives. Beholding your chaste behavior coupled with fear. So the Greek word there for fear is phobos, and it is translated in other places as respect or reverence or a sense of awe. Why does the Lord command the wife to fear her husband? The wife must fear her husband. That is, she must respect, reverence, and have a sense of awe towards him because the husband has the Lord's authority invested in him. And if you disobey the husband, you're disobeying the Lord. In fact, you're to obey your husband as the Lord, right? Uh, the wife should fear her husband just as the church should fear Christ, who is her husband. First Peter 3 and 3, whose adorning, let it not be 
the outward adorning of braiding of hair and of wearing jewels of gold or of putting on apparel, but let it be the hidden man of the heart in the incorruptible apparel of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. For after this manner aforetime holy women also who hoped in God adorned themselves, being subjection to their husbands. So this is an adornment to the, in the sight of the Lord, right? As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. Now I know a spirit of Jezebel would choke on that right there, <laughs> but it's a fact. But once you get rid of that spirit, you don't find it so hard to do, really. The wife is not to go around the authority of the husband. Right. Today, people think that God has put women in positions of authority in the church because the men won't do their job. But in both the early church and the Old Testament church, when women came into authority, it was considered a curse. Isaiah 3 and 12 says, As for my people, children are their oppressors, and women rule over them. O my people, they that lead thee cause thee to err, and destroy the way of thy paths. It happened with Adam and Eve in the garden, didn't it? Yeah. Very much since the time of uh, World War II, women have taken more and more authority in the church, while men have foolishly acquiesced, and proportionately, both the church and society around them has become more and more corrupt. I was once asked, wasn't there a woman judge in the Old Testament, David? Yeah, there sure was, but even in the Old Testament, it was a shame and a rebuke in Israel for women to manipulate and to domineer their husbands or any other man. So let's take a look at that particular instance. Deborah, Judges 4 and 4. Now Deborah, a prophetess, note that prophetess is not listed as an office of an elder or overseer in the New Testament. Read it, Ephesians 4.11. Okay, it's not listed there. The wife of Lapidoth. And here we see that Scripture is as careful to point out that she is using the delegated authority of God which comes through her husband. She judged Israel at that time. God prophesied through Deborah that a man, Barak, would take the lead to conquer the enemy, Judges 4, 6 through 7. No male judge listed in the same chapters ever had to go find another man to take the lead. They conquered the enemy themselves. But we know that that's not God's plan. Neither Othniel in Judges 3 and 9, or Ehud in Judges 3 and 15, or Shamgar in Judges 3 and 31, or Gideon in Judges 6 and 14, or Samson in Judges 13, 24 through 25, called anybody else to do their job. And though Barak was the one who insisted that Deborah go with him to war, 
he got rebuked and shamed for it. Judges 4 and 8. And Barak said unto her, If thou wilt go with me, then I will go. But if thou wilt not go with me, I will not go. And she said, I will surely go with thee, notwithstanding the journey that thou takest shall not be for thine honor. For the Lord will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. And Deborah arose and went with Barak to Kadesh. <laughs> okay, that was pretty plain. For a woman to have been given uh, the honor of killing Sisera was not honoring to the man, of course. In Judges 4 and 21, Then Jael, Eber's wife, took a tent pen and took a hammer in her hand and went softly unto him and smote the pen into his temples, and it pierced through into the ground, for he was in a deep sleep. So he swooned and died. Well, we can see that again in the story of Abimelech. Judges uh, 9.52 on. And Abimelech came unto the tower and fought against it and drew near unto the door of the tower to burn it with fire. And a certain woman cast an upper millstone upon Abimelech's head and brake his skull. Then he called hastily unto the young man at his armor-bearer and said unto him, Draw thy sword and kill me, that, <laughs> that men say not of me a woman slew him. And his young man thrust him through and he died. Pretty must have been pretty important in those days. Hmm? Well, in our covenant of the New Testament, God says to us, 1 Timothy 2.11, Let a woman learn in quietness and with all subjection. But I permit not a woman to teach nor to have dominion over a man. That is so clear. Black and white. Written by God. Perfect numeric pattern in it and everything. But they choose to disobey that and follow their self-will. And that's the uh, the word man there is uh, the Greek word aner, meaning a male human being, a man, a husband. But to be in quietness. So he permits not a woman to teach or to have dominion over a man, but to be in quietness. And although uh, anything a woman speaks to a man that he does not already know could be accounted as teaching, that's too broad of an interpretation. For example, there's no verse that says a woman cannot witness what God did for her, as here with Anna, Luke 2 and 36. And there was one Anna, a prophetess, a daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher, she was of great age, having lived with the husband seven years from her virginity. And she had been a widow even unto fourscore and four years, who departed not from the temple, worshiping and fastings and supplications night and day. And uh, coming up at that very hour, she gave thanks unto God and spake of him to all of them that were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. On the other hand, the woman is forbidden to hold the office of an evangelist. It's an office. 
Not that they can't evangelize in certain instances. Of course they can. But an evangelist is an office. That's different. First uh, uh, Timothy 2 and 13, For Adam was first formed. Uh, you can reference Genesis 2 and 21 through 23 there. And then Eve. And Adam was not beguiled, but the woman being beguiled hath fallen into transgression. Satan knows that the woman can be more easily beguiled, and the man can be more easily tempted to follow her, just as it was with Adam. Genesis 3 and 12 says, And the man said, The woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I did eat. And the Lord God said unto the woman, What is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, The serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. They both passed the buck, right? <laughs> if you look up uh, the Hebrew word nasha, translated there as beguiled, you'll find that the literal meaning is to lend on interest or be a creditor. And what happened here? The woman was brought into bondage to the serpent. She became a debtor to him. Genesis 3 and 16. Unto the woman, he, that is the Lord speaking, said, I will greatly multiply thy pain and thy conception, and in pain shalt thou bring forth children, and thy desire... Strong says that this is from Shuak in uh, original sense of stretching out after a longing, a desire. Okay, so, And thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. Commanded by the Lord. And the Hebrew word for rule is uh, mashal, and it means to have dominion, reign, gain control, govern. Uh, this is the command of the Lord. Genesis 3 and 17. And unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree, of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for thy sake. So this obedience to his wife brought forth the curse. Notice the first sin that brought the curse on humanity was the man submitting to his wife instead of the Lord. And uh, do you think it would not bring a curse today? Just as the husband should make it easy for the wife to obey, the wife should make it easy for the husband to be the head. Because if he's not, it's going to bring a curse on the entire family just as we see here. The only area where women are allowed to teach is to those women who are older in the Lord. They are called to teach the younger women about things concerning the home, children, maintaining a right relationship to their husband. Nowhere are they called to teach doctrine. Nowhere. Titus 2 and 1. But speak thou, uh, Paul is still addressing Titus here, speak thou the things which befit the sound doctrine. 
that aged women likewise be reverent in demeanor, not slanders, nor enslaved to much wine, teachers of that which is good, that they may train the young women to love their husbands. Hmm. So Christ, who is our husband, tells us that the only way we can love him is to keep his commandments. And so it is with the woman and her husband. John 14 and 15 says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Titus 2 and 4 says that they may train the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sober-minded, chaste, workers at home, kind, being in subjection to their own husbands. Notice the chain of command and, and, and delegated authority there. Uh, that the word of God be not blasphemed. Hmm. So, if you're speaking against the word of God, that's what blaspheme means, by the way, to speak against, then you're agreeing with this kind of lifestyle here, this rebellion. Okay. Uh, under the husband, the woman has authority over the household and the children. Ephesians 6 and 1, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise. Deuteronomy 5 and 16. And First uh, Timothy uh, 5 and 14. I desire, therefore, that the younger widows marry, bear children, rule the household, and give no occasion to the adversary for reviling. People who claim God as their Savior and Lord are going to live their lives like it was laid out in the Scriptures because God is going to restore all things. Joel 2 and 23, Be glad then, ye children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God, for he hath given you the former rain in just measure, and he causes to come down for you the rain, the former rain, and the latter rain in the first month. So it's going to happen twice with the former rain and with the latter rain. God is going to pour out His Holy Spirit in order to restore all things. And the true people of God are going to love to serve Him in agreement with the Word. Praise be to God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Oh, Father, we ask you that you would... Um, Grant every couple out there to study, to show themselves approved unto God, uh, to study the Word, find their place in their family, and love to be there, and that there be absolute and total forgiveness between husband and wife, because when two people have a self-will, or they both have rejection, or um, or uh, other spirits, of course, there's bound to be problems, bound to be unforgiveness, bound to be friction. Uh, but the Bible says be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And when we find out, for instance, what the Bible has to say to the women and to the men, and we come into alignment with it, with first of all, we have to agree with it. If we speak against it, we are permitting the devil to come in and reign. 
Okay. And so uh, when we come into agreement with the Word, meaning we're coming into agreement with God, who is the Word, right? We will have peace one with another. And Lord, we just pray. We cast out every demon of Jezebel uh, from men and women, by the way. Uh, we cast out that Jezebel spirit in the name of Jesus Christ. We command you to loose them in Jesus' name and set them free. We command the husband not to be an Ahab and defer everything to the woman, put all responsibility on the woman because um, he has a broken marriage, not in alignment with God whatsoever. It's not going to bear fruit. So in the name of Jesus, Father, we come against that spirit of Ahab too. In Jesus' name, we command you to loose those men out there. Let them take their position of authority and, and, and rule and reign with Christ. And this is not a domineering thing. It's not a, uh, a uh, lording it over thing. You know, it is through love, uh, giving the directions for the family, hearing from God, letting God do this. Uh, Lord, we, uh, we pray that every woman out there will seek to be uh, that valuable vessel that we spoke about, that they will desire earnestly to bear fruit and to be in the bride, because I can guarantee you there's no Jezebels in the bride, neither is there any Ahabs in the bride. So, Lord, um, the bride, of course, is going to escape all these things, as the Bible clearly points out, and that's because of her beauty, her beauty towards the Lord. Um, and, Lord, we just ask for you that everyone have that meek and quiet spirit that Moses had, and that the bride has, and um, uh, which is of great value to you, according to your word, Lord. Meek and quiet spirit, not impulsive, not domineering, not uh, um, taking this ruling over others uh, as it's as some would think uh, that it makes you better than them. It's not. We just all have different jobs. That's all. And the Lord has ordained these jobs. He's given us the parameters of these jobs. And he wants us to stick to them. The most perverse age has come where they don't even want to call men men and women women and children especially, boy and girl, they don't want to say those things. These are the craziest, stupidest, dumbest demons that have ever lived. <laughs> and so, uh, yeah. So how do people get so perverted yeah, well, you just need it. It just it's uh, little by little. It's kind of like we grow in the word, line upon line here, little and there, little. You know, well, little by little, line upon line, they uh, permit themselves more leeway. It's called lasciviousness, right? They permit themselves more leeway, and they see what's popular with the people around them, and of course they chime in with them because they want to be accepted. Everybody wants to be accepted. But when you confess something like that, you're opening the door for those demons to take you over. Just like we spoke about earlier. 
you uh, you must come against that. Uh, you must uh, command it out of your life. You must say no uh, to any leading towards the Jezebel or Ahab spirit. You must do this. You must fight it. You must win your salvation. People, um, without sanctification, no man shall see the Lord. Sanctification is that process of separating you from the worldly. In other words, you don't care what the world thinks, what their uh, doctrine is. You don't care. You are separate from that. You are sanctified by the Word of God. It is the Word of God that sanctifies us. When we obey it, we become sanctified. It's just a simple way of looking at it. Separated, sanctified means separated. You're separate from the world. You walk differently, you think differently, you talk differently. And if you you really should not, you know, abstain from uh, going to fellowship with the brethren because um, and learning good practices and uh, sharing your gifts while they share theirs with you because we are a body. And we need this. Uh, you do not need, by the way, a body that is ruled by women or a man that has a Jezebel spirit because he's in rebellion against his Lord, right? You do not need that. Uh, in fact, you need to come out from among them and be separate. And uh, I can tell you there is a lot of dwindling churches out there that have the leadership of women. And that's not permitted by God. He permits not the woman to teach or to take authority over the man, but to be in quietness, right? He permits it not. God said that. God said that. He permits it not. And Lord, uh, we want to be in right standing with you, Lord. And uh, we, we pray that every husband out there loves his wife and makes it easy and fun for the wife to be submissive instead of making it hard for the wife to be submissive because pride jumps on her or whatever. And, uh, Father, we thank you, Lord, um, that we will love one another. And, um, and through this love, we will overcome. And thank you, Father, for what you're doing in our lives and delivering us from evil. Lord, uh, the world is in total confusion. Um, men aren't men and women aren't women. And they, they like it that way. And they are enjoying the pleasures of sin for a season, as the Bible talks about it. But the end is the way of death. It's the way of destruction. God will not accept these perverts in his kingdom. He does not accept them. And the only reason that one of them should come among you is to find out what is the correct way. Uh, if, it's, if it becomes acceptable for men to not be men and women to not be women, then uh, other people will do the same thing. So it can't be acceptable. Effeminate, you know, homosexual, these, uh, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 5, are to leave the church. If they come there to repent and change their minds and they do it, 
not not hang around claiming that they're going to do it, but if they do it, if they do repent, they won't be leavened that leavens the whole lump. There's no such thing as a homosexual leader in the church. There is no such thing as a bisexual leader in the church. It's it is forbidden. And so thank you, Father, in the name of Jesus, for sanctifying your body. We see that you are using in these days faction to separate these perverted people from the body of Christ in order to sanctify the body of Christ. Because they, uh, when they walk in sin like that, they become very unforgiving and critical and angry and because uh, you won't do what they want to do in their perverse ways. And so they flee, which is a good thing. And uh, it sanctifies the body. And uh, thank you, Father. Your great wisdom is uh, proving that you have a love to sanctify your body, uh, the church. And the Lord, we praise you and we thank you that you're going to continue until the day of Jesus Christ. And that we will continue coming into correct order with the rules for us. You said, Lord, if we love you, we will keep your commandments Okay, Lord, we know that the bride is seriously in love. When we read the story of uh, Song of Solomon, there were quite a lot of the the uh, virgins, concubines, and so on and so forth that they just didn't understand the love that the Shulamite, the perfected one, uh, had towards uh, her beloved. Why she ran so fanatically after the beloved. Loving the Word of God, because that's who He is, right? See, they just did not understand that. They were just ho-hum about the whole thing, but then they're not the bride. Okay. Thank you, Lord, that we want to have that fanatical love of You that would cause us to run after You and submit to You wholeheartedly. In the name of Jesus, Amen. All right. Thank you, saints, for joining me today. And God bless you and keep you. And we'll do this again sometime. Amen. For information, materials, and to contribute, go to unleavenedbreadministries.org. Contributions only may be addressed to David Eels. Post Office Box 231616, Montgomery, Alabama, 36123. Though the rivers rise, I still believe. For oh, your mercy stands and your word is true, oh Jesus. I trust in you. And when I face that darkest night, what will be my guiding light? Shining rays of red and white Jesus, I trust in you Oh, sacred heart in you I find 
mercy seated for all time. I am yours and you are mine, Lord Jesus, I trust in you. Though the mountains fall into the sea, though the rivers rise, I still believe. For your mercy stands and your word is true, oh Jesus, I trust in you. Though the mountains fall into the sea, though the rivers rise, I still believe. For your mercy stands and your word is true, oh Jesus. Jesus, oh Jesus, I trust in you, I trust in you, I trust in you.